this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. A reading from the book of Hebrews. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have read, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It has declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you for choosing to be here tonight. I know that you have a lot of choices here in this city as to where you're going to spend your Sunday rainy afternoons, and I hope that tonight you will leave here ecstatic that you chose to be here because tonight we're going to talk about how the salvation through Jesus is better. I I feel sorry for two people here tonight, or two groups of people tonight. The first group of people is everyone that is sitting down in here listening to me. That's the first group of people that I feel sorry for. The second group of people is myself. So basically, I feel sorry for all of us. And here's why. We are inundated with messages. Like, there there are messages just all over competing for our attention. There are messages trying to sell us products. They are trying to sell us on what is best for our life. There are messages trying to tell us that this is true and this is not. I mean, we've got social media, all kinds of choices with social media. We have text messaging. We have um, uh, phone calls. I know that's foreign to a lot of you, but you can actually use your phones to talk to people. Uh, you have those messages, and, and the, so we're always, and, and you can even, even have a U.S. mail where you can get a letter from someone in the mail, so that's, that's foreign as well, too, but, you know, email, all these ways that messages are just bombarding is the word I want to use, violating me, even. I feel like I, I, my space is just personally violated all the time. And in fact, you know, you know, sometimes these little notifications on your phone, they just feel like someone who's always just kind of sitting next to you, just tapping your shoulder. Hey, hey. It is, it's really hard to get away and to be still and know that God is God. It's really hard to remove ourselves. I had a chance this week to, to go upstate and, and take a respite one day and, and go skiing. And while I was on the mountain, it was so wonderful because the phone, my phone was too cold to really get any messages because <laughs> it was freezing up there. Uh, but as I was just coming down the mountain skiing, it was just nice just to hear the breeze and to look and see God's creation and, and just to relax. And I had a wonderful time just to rest. But I feel sorry for us. 
It's a difficult time. It's a different world. But I have good news for us. I don't want you to stay feeling sorry for you, and I, I mean that kind of as a joke, uh, as to, to get your attention, but also uh, to expose the reality that we do live in a different world that is competing for ideas. And while it may not be packaged as salvation, a lot of the messages that we are receiving, the advertisements, the uh, whatever it is trying to gain our allegiance, it's promising some form of salvation. It's promising to help us get to a better life. It's, it's promising to help us to enjoy our, our lives more or to, to discover our inner selves, something that will help us become enlightened or whatever. It's a, it's a form of salvation, and it's intriguing to us. We, something within us, and, and I believe that something within us is, is God-ordained. He's put within us this knowledge, this awareness that we do need salvation. So we're going to see tonight why salvation that is offered through Jesus— is superior, it's better, that it's true. And so I want us to talk about that, and there's three things. If you want to follow along in your worship folders, there should be an outline that looks like this, and you can take notes on that. If you don't have that, you can walk and grab one in the back. It won't disturb anyone, or you can just take notes on your phone or paper that you may already have. So I want us to walk, walk through this together and see three realities from the text that was just read to us a few moments ago. And I want us to, when we think of the salvation of Jesus, I want us to look to three things. The salvation of Jesus is better. Why? We're going to look to these three things, and it's going to tell us why it is better. And the first one is number one, and we're going to start with, we're going to look to the character of Christ. The character of Christ. Um, hit, hit, hit it again. Yeah, the background's messed up, but that says character, and hopefully it'll fix it in a second. So the character of Christ is the reason why the salvation through Jesus is better. It's better because of Jesus. And, and to help us understand why this is important is because this is the beginning of chapter 2 tonight in Hebrews chapter 2. And what we've been doing is working our way through the, this letter that was written uh, almost a couple thousand years ago. And so we, chapter 1 talked about the superiority of Jesus over and over, didn't it? Last week we saw how Jesus was superior to angels and how angels are magnificent creatures that God has created, uh, but he is superior to them, so we shouldn't look to something less than God to be our salvation, but we should look to the one, the Jesus, who commands these majestic creatures called angels to do his bidding. And so we look to Jesus, and so Jesus is superior. And so let's look in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, and we'll see where this character of Christ comes from. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And then hold there just for a second. Don't go to the next verse. So the first word of this chapter is translated, therefore. And it also could be translated very um, reasonably, for this reason. So when you see the word therefore, you, you learn to ask, why is that, or what is the word therefore? Why is it there? What does it mean? So it's building upon something. And so all of chapter 1 has said Jesus is superior in this way, this way, this way, this way. Therefore, because of this, here's what we're going to do with it. So he says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, or, which is what less means, or we might drift away from it. We have to pay much closer attention to what we've heard about this Jesus because we might drift away from it. Number two, verse two, it says, for since the message declared by angels 
proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience, and we're going to have to stop here because that's going to be point number two, but the first part of, chapter, uh, of verse two here tells us since the message from the angels proved to be reliable. So that's the other part. So based on the previous chapter, we need to pay close attention because Jesus is better than any other thing that is competing for our attention. He's better than everything in the world. He's better than the angels. Because he is better, we are to pay closer attention. And here's why. If we don't pay close attention to him, what we're going to do is drift away from the better salvation, the better life, all these things that he offers to us. And because of who he is, we should pay attention to him all the more. He deserves to be heard, and we don't, And if we don't listen, then drifting is inevitable. Ever been in the ocean or the ocean? Anybody? Raise your hand. It's participatory. Good. All right. Good. So some of you haven't been in the ocean. You should you should try it sometime. It's really really cool. Uh, But uh, if you've been to the ocean and you're on a boat, then uh, the the waves and the current. You know, the ocean has currents and and tides and all these things. It will it will take you somewhere. And so if you're not anchored in, then your boat is susceptible to go wherever the waves and the, the tide carry you. And so it's, it's a very clear principle that if we're not anchored to something, if we're not anchored to Jesus, we will be like a boat that's just drifting in the ocean wherever the world or the tide may take us. So if we're not centered on him, we are in danger of being lost and even drifting so far away that we can't even tell which way is land that we don't know how to find our way home. The famous hymn, Come Thou Fount, you may know that one, but it has a, a wonderful line in it that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so there is something also within us that's not just susceptible to being taken away by something, but when we're not focused on Jesus, listen closely. There's something within us that wants to go the other way. That we're prone to to wander and to to stray away from him. And that leads us to a very dangerous place. But when we focus on the person of Jesus and we grow and we walk in a a better life that he offers to us, then then we don't drift. We stay focused on him and we we stay in the lane or in in the area of the ocean that we're supposed to be in, if you will. And so there's a, there's a few reasons that, that you may want to ask yourself, and you can write these down if you want. Uh, there's, there's four ways that you can maybe ask yourself, am I, am I drifting? Am I, am I drifting away from, from where God wants me to be? And, and there's, there are four ways that that can happen. The first one is familiarity. So if you're just really familiar with the Lord and comfortable, it, it can be just become a habit. You become so familiar with the truth that you begin to drift away because you're just so comfortable with it, you forget to marvel at what God has done for you. You lose that awe of, wow, I was a condemned sinner, dead in my sins, and God rescued me from life. And we go from that awareness to, I have to go to church again today. Pastor Daniel asked me to, you know, be a greeter at the front. <laughs> you know, it just becomes um, uh, mundane for us, and, and we lose the awe of what God has done for us. So too familiar. Number two is, is too busy. 
the busyness of life, and I think a lot of us can understand this one, that we just, we're so busy. There's an old saying that says, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you too busy. And we're just so busy, we're just too busy for God. We think we are. So that's the second one. The third one is culture. If you don't focus on Jesus, then the culture changing around you will eventually change you. And if you don't think our culture has changed and what, uh, if our culture, what it, it finds valuable and important and what it exalts, if you don't think it's changed, just study history and see how, how our world has changed and, and even other cultures that are in the world today and what they value. And so if you're not focused on Christ, then you'll change as the world changes. And the fourth one is this. So we have familiarity, busyness, culture, and this is one that maybe hit, uh, it may hit a lot of you more than the other. Disappointment. Have you ever been disappointed? You ever felt like God didn't come through on a promise? You ever felt like Christianity just isn't working? So this is the letter of Hebrews, and, and this is who the, the audience is, that they are, they are being tempted to turn away from their faith in Christ and to look to something else. And, and the writer of Hebrews uh, is saying, no, do not turn away. You know, disappointment. We, we may have prayed that God would, would do something for us or to bring healing, and he didn't, and, and it went unanswered. And, and we have this misplaced disappointment with God where we stop trusting him, and it causes us to drift away. Verse 1 says, it tells us to pay attention to the person of Jesus. Pay attention to him. Look to him. And the verse 2 talks about the message that was reliable. That's the word of Jesus. So pay attention to him and then pay attention to his word, what he says. That means that when, what he says, we accept. We don't just pick and choose. Well, I like what Jesus said here, but I don't like what he said over here. So I'm just going to take this. Uh, you familiar with the Babylon Bee? It's a, a satirical website that does a lot of Christian satire especially, but they do some other things as well. But uh, they dabble in it. But they, they did one a couple years ago, and it was uh, a piece on the, a perforated Bible. And so the perforated Bible was this Bible that makes it easy for you when you come across these difficult passages. You can just rip that part out and throw it away. Entire books if you want. And, then, you know, satire means it's, it's, it's funny to, be a, to prove a point. Uh, but one of my favorite lines from that satire was, uh, was this one. It says, people are far more likely. And so the, this was a quote from one of the creators of the Bible or one of the you know, uh, publishers. And it said, people are far more likely to daily pick up their Bible if they know it's not going to convict them of their sin, make them uncomfortable, or confront their faulty thinking on an issue. The NIV perforated Bible makes that dream into a reality. I was like, that's pretty funny. And so we, we do. We like to pick and choose things about God, but that's not how Christianity works. We follow Jesus. We trust to him. We look to him, and we receive his word. It includes the things that we love to read about Jesus. Like there's some things that we, we read and we're like, yes, Jesus stood up to those people. And there's some things that we read and we're like, oh, snap, I think he's talking about me. Those are uncomfortable. His word is for all of those things. We, we can trust the salvation of Jesus because he's better because of the character of Christ, but he's also, he's the one who fills us with joy. At the same time, he's the one who convicts us of our sin. He doesn't just affirm us and say, yes, everything you're doing is good. 
But he affirms us and says, I love you, but I'm not going to let you stay like this. We're going to grow. You're going to mature in your faith. I'm going to complete in you what I've started. He comforts us in our time of trouble. He is the constant one, and he is the true one. Look to the character of Christ. The second reason is this. Look to the certainty of judgment. Look to the certainty of judgment. This, this author of Hebrews is, is writing to believers, and there are a lot of passages that we'll be going through over the next several weeks that are going to be uncomfortable, that things that are going to really call us uh, to, to look inward at our hearts. And what does it do that I really believe about Jesus? And what he's saying here is if you, re, if you neglect your walk with Christ, and you, then you're going to deal with this certainty of judgment. Even as a believer, we can be dealt with in judgment. It's that kind of judgment that for, at least for sure will keep us from experiencing this, this closeness, this unity with Christ, and we will be miserable people. You may not lose your salvation for sin, but you will certainly lose the joy of it. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, we'll pick up where we left off. It said, For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, that's the word of God, and every transgression or disobedience received a just, what? Retribution. If that happened, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And we'll stop there because I want to. (laughs) So let's not forget that uh, a believer who rejects his or her relationship with Jesus part of that certainty of judgment can lead to the judgment that comes from sinning to the point of death. This is something that will come up more as we go, but basically what it's saying is that people can choose to walk away from Jesus, and he will let you go. And then we have this whole debate as well, I didn't think you could lose your salvation or because of sin or your failure. And then uh, how can you lose it? How can you walk away from it? And there's the whole debate of, well, maybe they really weren't saved or maybe they, they were and they lost it or maybe they weren't. And so I don't want to have that debate. The text is, is uh, the, the scriptures are wonderfully complex. But one thing that is clear is that God allows us to go where we want to go. And we can reject this great salvation. And what he is saying is, guys, if people rejected what the angels told them through the law and through Moses, if they rejected that, how can we reject what Christ has done and not expect to face judgment for that? There is, there is judgment for what we, how we respond to what Christ has done. People were choosing to walk away from Jesus and he will allow them to go. So, That debate is not the point. We can walk away from God and he will let us go. So judgment is coming. It doesn't matter if you think there is no hell or there is no God or if you wrongly think that people are inherently good. It doesn't matter if those are things that you firmly believe. God is going to judge all of evil and he's going to punish all sin. There will be hell to pay for those who reject Jesus 
and actively or passively follow the dark spirits of this world. There's judgment that is coming, an eternal condemnation for all the fallen angels that we know as demons. We talked about that a little bit last week. He's saying very clearly here and succinctly, the people in the Old Testament didn't get away with it. How can we expect, through all that we have seen and witnessed and how God has has proven who Christ is, how can we expect to reject what God has done and get away with it? We will not. So Jesus' salvation is better, and here's why this is good news, is because through Jesus, the punishment that we deserve for our sin is taken away through his death. And we are now recipients of the resurrected life of, of dying with Christ and being raised with him to walk in a newness of life, to be raised to walk in eternal life, filled with God's Holy Spirit. We become good. We're not inherently good. We're not born good, but when we are born again in Christ, we become good because of who Christ makes us, not because of what we've done. So the salvation of Christ is, is good and pleasing. And if you remember when Jesus was baptized, uh, at the very beginning of his earthly ministry, he came to John the Baptist, he was baptized, and when he came up out of the water, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, I love my son, my, my one and only, in whom I am well pleased. Heart, God, God the Father was saying, my, my heart delights in my son. But in Christ, No longer are we condemned in our sin, but we die and we are raised anew through baptism and through faith in Christ. And now we are looked upon by the Father. And he looks at us and he says, my son, my daughter, in you I find great joy. I am well pleased in you. And so the certainty of judgment through Christ is taken away. The judgment is coming but it was taken by Jesus. That's why it's better. doesn't just pretend it's not there. doesn't just sweep it under the rug and say, nah, don't worry about it. But Jesus enters in and he takes our punishment for us. Judgment. Third, the third one, I'll put two fingers up. How about three? The third one is this. What do we look to with the salvation of Jesus? The third one is we look to the confirmation of God. The confirmation of God. So how do we know that this salvation of Jesus is better? Because God provides confirmation to us. He's like, yes, I confirm what is true about Jesus. So if we look back in verse 3 and 4, we'll see these four things. It says this. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And then we stop there for point number two, right? And now point number four starts here. It says the first reason is um, the first confirmation is that it was spoken of by Jesus. So it says, it was declared at first by the who? The Lord. So it was confirmed by Jesus. So that's the first confirmation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He died, he rose again, and he, I think the Greek word when he rose again, it was like, pow when he came out of the tomb. or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I may be taking a license there a little bit. But he he showed death who was boss, and he was victorious over death. And he was 
doing something new that was never happened before. And so he was proclaiming, and he was spoken, he was confirmed, it was declared by him. He showed Thomas his, his, um, the holes in his hands. And he says, Thomas, you're, you're doubting me. Look, let me show you. And he says, how great is those who believe in me and not having to see these, that they, they trust a testimony. So it was, number one, it was spoken by Jesus. The second confirmation was, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So the second one is it was spoken by others, spoken by Jesus, spoken by others. And those others were eyewitnesses, hundreds of eyewitnesses of not only the Christ in his ministry, his earthly ministry, but also hundreds, say hundreds, hundreds of recorded, probably more, but hundreds of recorded eyewitnesses in the New Testament that saw the risen Christ, the one who had come back from the dead. And so it was confirmed, it was spoken to by others. The third one is this in verse 4. It said, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. So the third one is, God the Father confirmed it through signs and wonders. There were signs and wonders. The apostles did. The first sign and wonder that was performed was the resurrection. The fact that Jesus came back from the dead uh, the way he did. Not just the fact, like Lazarus, you think, well, Lazarus came back. He was dead four days. You know, that seems more impressive. But Lazarus came back differently. Lazarus came back to die again. He was in the tomb for four days, and they were like, dude, Jesus, don't go in there. It's going it's to stink. And so they rolled away the tomb. Jesus went in or called Lazarus out, and, and Lazarus came out, and he was, he was still, you know, you know weak and, and needed to be nursed back to full health. But eventually he died again. But Jesus rose from the dead differently to where he didn't look worn and tattered and, and just beaten and, and, and have to go through the process of healing because he came back in a glorified body. In fact, he just had his, the holes from the, the nails in his hands and his, his side and his feet. But the rest of him looked glorified and new. So much so that they thought it was a ghost at first. And so this miraculous new resurrection, it was not heard of, and that's why it took them so off guard. And it was so unheard of and so caught them so much off guard and, and inspired them so much that the apostles and, and those closest following, the closest followers of Jesus were willing to face prison and even death for their testimony of saying, you can put us in jail if you want, you can threaten us with whatever you want, but we're not going to stop preaching the truth because we saw Jesus risen and he's alive. What we're speaking is true and we are willing to die for it. And so signs and wonders, and he continued to do healings through, throughout the kingdom uh, for uh, even further evidence for the resurrection. And the fourth confirmation from God was this. It says, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so the fourth one is the confirmation of God's Holy Spirit given to the church. We are recipients of this gift. The Holy Spirit lives within everyone who calls on Jesus as Lord. And it's, it's proven in the past and it's proven in the present. This confirmation, this historical evidence is overwhelming. And the present evidence of the Holy Spirit is life-transforming. Last week we learned that, that God has at least one angel assigned for each believer in Christ. Hebrews talks about this. and This week we're reminded that each believer has God's Holy Spirit living within them. Is that an awareness that you have throughout the day? That the power of God, the presence of God 
is alive within you? Is that a power that you're leaning on and trusting in? Is that a relationship that you're nurturing? See, the gifts of of the Spirit include wisdom, understanding, counsel, courage, knowledge, reverence for God, fear of the Lord, and prayer. The Holy Spirit even prays for us when we don't know what to pray. I mean, we could unpack a lot of things about the Holy Spirit that, that are true biblically and are not being Well, I hope they're being practiced in your life, but I would imagine for a lot of us, we're not tasting the fullness of the Spirit throughout our days. I hope that we are. But I want to challenge you tonight to seek the Holy Spirit in your life. Not to go out and ask God to give the Holy Spirit to you, because in Christ, He's already giving it to you, but to receive the Holy Spirit. And to say, God, in this moment, I just receive you. I receive your Holy Spirit and I I give my life to you and I ask God that you would indwell me to the full. That I would know you in ways that I've never known before. But that gets a little awkward a lot of times. Maybe sometimes we're a little afraid of where that might go. That sounds a little too weird. God has already given believers the Holy Spirit If you've repented of your sin and turned your life over to Jesus as Lord, then you have the Holy Spirit. Amen? But just like the gift of salvation, there's a responsibility on your part to unlock that gift, to utilize it, to receive it. So I have a question. Is the Holy Spirit your power for living, or are you living by your own strength? If you're consistently down and frustrated and angry and tired and just, you know what the answer is, right? That you're living by your own strength and you're being depleted. So what are you doing to be filled back up with God's Holy Spirit? We are not defeated people. We are victorious people. We walk in the light of the resurrection. We look back and we see, Jesus, you defeated death. And if God is so willing and loves us so much to give us everything and giving us the son romans eight thirty two, i think somewhere in eight says that how much more will he give us the things of life that we need it's like if i loved you enough to give you my son of course i love you enough to give you the things of life that you need i can carry your burdens and if that's you if you're overwhelmed by life then i want you to get alone with god tonight and pray and tell him lord i need your holy spirit in my life And it is a gift, and I believe, and I know that it is mine. And as your son or as your daughter, Lord, I just rest in this moment, and I receive your Holy Spirit. There is an an inward witness that we have called the Holy Spirit, where it's this still, small voice within us that tells us, no, 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 or go and do this. There's this peace that God gives to his people. He wants us to walk in line with him. He's not trying to trick us. He's not trying to, all right, you know, like dangle a carrot in front of a horse type thing and, and you, know, uh, you know, tease us along, but he wants us to walk empowered in relationship with him. Salvation from Jesus is better for many reasons. And tonight, I want you to hear this. If you're not in it now, at some point, you are going to be very tempted to turn away from this great salvation. I take that back. Maybe you won't. 
Maybe some of you are going to walk in, in faithfulness the rest of your lives and, and, and maybe it's just be a small temptation or just a, a, a blip on the radar, but there will be trials that come in your life. There will be difficult things and there will be people that try to speak a new message into your life to take you away from the truth of God's message. But don't ever forget that the salvation through Jesus is better than anything that the world has to offer. Look to his character. Look to Jesus' character. The certainty of judgment, it is coming. And look how God has overwhelmingly confirmed through Jesus in the past, present, and in the future, he has confirmed to us that his salvation is true. Will you pray with me? Tonight, Lord, it's an opportunity for us to consider what what we truly believe. It's very easy in our world today, Lord, to say we believe one thing, but then act and live in a way that totally, totally testifies to a different belief. Lord, I desire for myself and I desire for everyone here tonight to walk in unity with you, to walk in your salvation, to walk in in the fullness of your Holy Spirit, to have a divine, wonderful, empowered life with you. Lord, as, as we get ready to leave this place in just a little while, and enter back into the world out there with all these different messages, will you impress upon our hearts the the truth and the clarity and the, the simplicity that there is only one name by which we can be saved. The exalted, life-transforming name of Jesus Christ. Father, if there are those here tonight who don't know you as their Lord, I pray that tonight will be the night when they taste of salvation and begin their lifelong journey of following you and trusting you with all that they have. Lord, we bless you. And in in the face of temptation, when we are tempted to turn away from you, I pray that we would remember that you way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you, Jesus. Amen.